the team who works hard every week. And the choir. How about the choir today? It's always good to hear them. As a matter of fact, they, um, the song they uh, brought to you this morning uh, goes along with the message perfectly because we're going to talk about perception, how you see stuff in your life, how you perceive it. But before we get into the message, I want to thank you guys. Last weekend was a great success. Let me just begin by telling you that our little boys and girls gave last week in the Giving Life effort one, over $1,000, more than $1,000 from our, our littlest ones. Wasn't that great? And uh, the bridge in Goldsboro, our Goldsboro campus, they gave just shy of $100,000. So give it up for the bridge campus. And those of you who may not know our... our um, our Thursday night church that we meet on Thursday night, tell you how that got started. Uh, we noticed that people go to the beach during the summer. We had an epiphany. No. Um, so we, that's, that's a joke. You're looking at each other going, I didn't know that was a word. Um, it's not. So um, we, we said, you know, what if instead of fussing and, and just, you know, kind of grumbling about people going to the beach during the summer, what if we did Sunday morning on Thursday night? And so we started having a Thursday night service in the summer. We were just going to run it for the summer and be done with it. And that became our largest service and still to this day is our largest service at the bridge. We have a Saturday night service here at 6 o'clock. You get the same sermon, same music, same everything, same good coffee, everything at all four of the services. So you got a Thursday night opportunity in the, at the bridge in Goldsboro. You have Saturday night here at 6, and then you have a 9 o'clock service here. And, of course, you know you have an 11 o'clock service here because you're here. That's how you know. And um, so, so uh, we got uh, uh, over $1,000 from the kids. We got uh, almost $100,000 from the bridge in Goldsboro. And you guys last week in pledges and offering so far, and remember, we haven't even really started yet. We actually start giving the pledges next month, and it's a three-year process, $846,000 last weekend was given and pledged. Now, our lowest goal uh, that we want to reach is $1.5 million. Well, we're going to reach out a lot earlier than we thought we would because of the great start you gave us this weekend. Our next goal is $2 million, and then our final goal, if we reach that, which is called the miracle goal over the next three years, is $2.5 million. i got to tell you something. With this kind of start of 846000 I tell you, by the end of the three-year period, we are going to easily reach the $2.5 million mark, and we are going to do what God has called us to do. Isn't that awesome? I am just so thankful for your faithfulness and the way you guys stepped up. You always do. You always do. Every time. I've been at this church for 21 years, and we have come to Kadesh, and I'll explain what that means in just a minute, but we have come to Kadesh many times, and we've had to decide whether we're going to stay in the wilderness or go into promised land. 
Uh, we've made that process. We've come to that place many times since I've been your pastor. And every single time you guys have said, Pastor, let's go into the promised land. Let's go get it. And we have done that. Now, some of you may not know about the Giving Life campaign. We have a packet for you that you can pick up on the way out. It doesn't obligate you to anything. Uh, it just kind of lets you know what's going on in our church with the Giving Life effort. You know that the new Giving Life Fund uh, includes three things. And this is what we're asking everyone to give to over the next three years is the Giving Life Fund. And it deals with Bread of Life. Now, Bread of Life is our ministry, our benevolence ministry, where we help the, the needy, help those who are out of a job, help those who are having, uh, um, like Kennedy Dean's family, help them with some fuel. Kennedy, of course, uh, having the brain aneurysm is at Pitt Memorial. And we've been helping them with some travel and some meals and things. And you guys have reached out to them individually and blessed them. That's just one example. You've done it for many, many other people. But bread of life uh, goes for that kind of thing, okay? And then missions. We are a very missions-minded, missions-oriented church. And we believe that God will get what we need. He'll get it to us if he knows he can get it through us. And so we want to give to missions and we have over 35 missionaries and missions ministries that we give to every month and we are not going to let them down. We're going to take care of them first because we believe if we take care of them first, God will always take care of us here. Isn't that true? If you build God's house, then he'll build our house. If you build God's kingdom, if you make it about the kingdom and build his house, then he will build our house. And so we um, are just rejoicing about uh, your commitment to Bread of Life, helping the needy, helping uh, missions. And then the third part of the Giving Life Fund is our new building, our new 1,200-seat worship center that we have started construction on directly behind you. So those of you who don't know about this or, or maybe you've been away while a lot of this was going on, please pick up one of these. You can pick it up out here uh, at the uh, Small Connect Center or out here at the Large Connect Center in the main foyer. Just pick one of these up. They should know what you're talking about when you go and ask them about that. So we're, we're talking today about perspective how we see things in our life. And um, this is a very important topic because your perspective um, makes all the difference in the world. It really will determine whether you're a success or a failure. It, it will determine whether you're victorious or defeated. It will determine whether you are fulfilled or unfulfilled in your life. So we're going to go in our Bibles to Numbers 13. Now, many times I'll put all the scriptures up on the screen, but what we're going to do today is just challenge you to look in your Bibles because we're going to be reading a lot of different scriptures today, and uh, uh, we're going to read some uh, longer passages, and I just didn't want to make 40 slides of scripture. So if you will just get your Bible, and if you have your Bible, and you're sitting beside someone who doesn't have a Bible, Look at them and go, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. You share your Bible with them. You share your Bible. All right, Numbers 13. God's going to show us here that you will either view everything in your life with eyes of faith or eyes of fear. And let's go to the background. Let's just do a little background study. Charlton Heston led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, y'all knew that, didn't you? Okay. Um, Moses, 
uh, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. And they've been in the desert now for about two years. This is the setting of Numbers 13. And they're on the edge of the promised land. They have a decision to make. They're right on the edge of the promised land. They've got to decide, are we going to stay in the desert or are we going to go into the promised land? They're at a place called Kadesh. You're going to come to Kadesh many times in your life. And you're going to have to trust God and go into the promised land or you're going to be filled with fear and doubt and stay in the wilderness, stay in the desert. Whitley Church came to Kadesh about a year ago and we had some major decisions to make. Knowing what Wall Street was saying about the economy, knowing what so-called experts were saying about the future. And we knew that we were choosing, or rather God was choosing, a environment, an economical environment for us to build our new worship center in and continue to support missions and increase missions and continue to support the poor and needy and even increase helping the poor and needy that God had chosen a time that in the eyes of man would have been a foolish time to move forward. But God spoke to our hearts and we decided that we would not stay in the wilderness, that we, but that we as a church would go into the promised land. Now, here the children of Israel are in Kadesh, and God has already said to them, you're, you're going in, you, you can go in. You can, wherever you put your feet, I've, I've already given it to you. I mean, just go and put your feet on it. The minute you put your feet on it and every step you take into the promised land, everything behind you is already yours. So God had given them the land and God says, send in 12 spies, pick a, pick a, a leader from every tribe, 12 tribes, and send in, send in 12 spies to spy out the land and then come back, let the spies come back and report to you what's over there in the promised land. And then you decide what you're going to do. When they came back, there were two different reports. Ten of them were filled with fear and two of them were filled with faith. Ten of the twelve gave a negative report. Two gave a positive report. Ten of them said, I see obstacles. Two of them said, we see opportunities. I want to tell you that because of the report of these 10 doubters, because of the report of these 10 faithless men, an entire generation that could have enjoyed the promised land died in the desert because fear is contagious. Doubt is contagious. And when they came back with this report of fear and doubt, it went through the camp like wind on a wheat field. They didn't see it from God's point of view. They knew what God had said, but 
Ten people caused an entire nation, think about it, an entire generation to die in the desert because of a lack of faith, because they were filled with fear. Let's go to the book of Numbers, and, and we're just going to jump around in chapter 13. Not going to read all the verses in chapter 13, but we're going to kind of jump around in there. Look at, uh, look at Numbers 13, look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Charlton, the Lord said to Moses, Send men to explore the land of Canaan, which I will give to the Israelites. Send one leader from each tribe. So we've already talked about that. Skip down to verse 18. And then he gives them sort of an evaluation list. He says, when you get over there in the promised land, here's some questions to ask yourself. See what the land looks like. And ask yourself these questions. Are the people who live there strong or weak? Are there a few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What about the towns they live in? Are they open like camps or do they have walls? What about the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees there? Try to bring back some of the fruit from that land. The Bible tells us it was the, it was the season for first grapes. I always love when the grapes are coming off, don't you? Verse 21, so they went up and explored the land. Now let's jump down to verse uh, 25. Jump down to 25 with me. I'm reading out of the NC version, the North Carolina version. New Covenant version. After 40 days of exploring the land, the men returned to the camp. So, so here's what's happened. They picked a, a, a spy or a representative from each tribe, told them to go over and spy out the land, so they cross over into the promised land and spy it and check it out. And then they come back to report. And this is what they said. After 40 days of exploring the land, we're in verse 18. The men returned to the camp. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and all the Israelites at Kadesh. See, the church is at Kadesh. It still hasn't crossed over yet. Whether or not the church is going to cross over is based on the report of these men. Boy, that says something about leadership, doesn't it? That says something about leadership right there. I mean, the people are waiting. They've been in the desert now for over two years. They're tired of the desert. They're ready to go on into the land of promise. They're tired of walking around in the sand. They're tired of walking around in the cactus. They're tired of walking around in the dry, barren uh, land uh, uh, where there's no fruit, no trees. They're ready to cross over into the fertile green pastures of Canaan where there is grapes and pomegranates and corn and wine and milk and honey. So they're ready to cross over, but it's all based on what the leaders say. What the leaders say. Leadership. Are you in leadership anywhere? Do you serve in leadership anywhere? You say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. Let me ask you something. Do you influence anybody? Because if you influence somebody, you are a leader of somebody. You may influence one person or a family or a small group of people. You may influence a large group of people. You may be a, a manager or a boss or you may own your own company. 
and you're an influencer. People listen to you. People want to hear your words. They want to hear your advice. There is tremendous responsibility on a leader for the words he says, the words she says, the faith in their heart. See, your faith affects the faith of other people. Wow. That's, that's mind-boggling right there. When I think about that, I'm going to stand before God one day and not only give God an account of my faith, but because of my leadership position, God's going to look at me and go, you know, if you doubt, they'll doubt. If you fear, they'll fear. If you don't obey me, they won't obey me. I actually didn't have that in my notes. I actually just thought about that. And to be honest with you, I need a timeout right here to process that just a little bit. That's scary. Scary stuff. See, you're not responsible for just yourself. You affect other people. You affect other lives. So he says they came back, verse 26, to Moses and Aaron and uh, all the Israelites at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. So they're still in the desert. And the men reported to them and showed everybody the fruit from the land. They brought fruit back. They told Moses, we went to the land where you sent us, and it is a fertile land. Here is some of its fruit. And then in verse 28, the biggest little word in the Bible is the word what? But that's what's wrong with so many churches. Too many big butts. <laughs> I know you're going, Pastor, we have visitors today. I know. Well, it's still true. In verse 28, they started with but. They said, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. It's everything God said it was, everything God said it was. But the people who live there, I'm, I'm going to say this like I think they said it. I'm going to whine a little bit. Is that okay? Do a little drama. But the people who live there are strong. Their cities have walls. And they're very large. And we saw some Anakites, that's giants, or they thought they were giants. They were just really tall teddy bears. I'll tell you about that later. We even saw some Anakites there, but it's everything God said it was, everything God said it was, awesome, 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 more than God said it was, more than I even imagined. However, when we saw the walled cities, when we saw the strength, when we saw the Anakites, we were filled with fear. Jump down now. You're in Numbers 13. Jump down to verse 30. Then Caleb. Caleb was one of the two that came back with a good report. Caleb and Joshua. Then Caleb told the people near Moses to be quiet. And he said, we should certainly go up and take the land for ourselves. We can certainly do it. So this is one of the two guys who believed what God said. How many churches have you guys seen that the, the church body as a whole was pretty much ready to do whatever the leaders said and the leaders wimped out on them? Have y'all seen that happen? Man, responsibility. 
Then Caleb told the people near, he said, he said, we should certainly go up and take the land. We can certainly take it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone with him, the other 10, the other 10 said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And those men gave the Israelites a bad report. Oh, listen to me. What kind of words are coming out of your mouth? You know, there are some people who know you're a Christian and maybe they're either not a Christian yet or maybe they're a new believer and they know you've been a believer for a while and God has told them to cross over into a, into a land of promise in their life, into a Canaan land, and you're one of those I just can't imagine our church having anybody like that, but you're just one of those sour Christians, you know, that kind of got away from God, and now when somebody brings up something that has to do with faith or claiming what God has promised, you just always have a little negative word for them. Do you know, do you understand that when you do that, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting other people, you're holding other people back from their promise. And you'll be held responsible. That's a, that's a sobering thought that God would one day say to us, you know, you, you gave up. You, you pretty much gave up because some bad things came into your life and you wouldn't trust me. You just went into the valley of, of doubt and depression and you wouldn't trust me. And then you talk that stuff to other people I could have blessed, but they heard you talk, so they didn't believe me either. It, do y'all hear that? I got to tell you something, man. This is the third time I've preached this sermon. Pastor Jeremy had to preach for me last night because I wasn't feeling well. This is the third time I've preached this sermon. And I haven't said this in any of the other two sermons I've preached. It, it's just hitting me that my words don't only affect whether I get what I'm supposed to get from God and I claim my promise from God, but if I start talking down in the mouth and negative to other people, I might prevent somebody else from getting their promise from God. Wow. Verse 32 again, and those men gave the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored, saying, the land that we explored is too large to conquer. You know what that means right there? God really didn't realize how big this was. I don't know if God, somebody, maybe God just saw like part of the map. He didn't see like the whole map because that's a big area over there. Isn't this ridiculous? But you know what? We do the same thing. And then they get back to those tall people. And the people we saw were very tall. <laughs> we saw the Nephilim people there. That's the Anakites. The Anakites come from the Nephilim people. Look, look at the last sentence. Look at the last sentence in verse 33. We felt like Y'all, can you see it in your Bible? Grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers and we looked like grasshoppers to them. We felt like grasshoppers and we looked like grasshoppers to them. Now, that doesn't mean like grasshopper. You remember grasshopper? That grasshopper was bad to the bone. He would drop you. You're, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? What was that, kung fu? Grasshopper. Not that kind of grasshopper but wimpy grasshopper. I know the kids are out there going, did he just mix grasshopper and karate kid? Yes, yes I did. Let me give you three things about 
seeing with the eyes of fear. One of the things that causes us to see with the eyes of fear and not the eyes of faith is the same thing that caused these people, and that was they underestimated what God could do. You know something? We forget what God can do. And I know this sounds like a children's church sermon today. Little boys and girls, don't forget what God can do. And what can God do? Anything, everything, you know? So you can't say my sermon's too complicated to understand today because they could preach this one in kids' church. But these people underestimated what God can do. Can I ask you something about the God you serve? Can he or can he not? He can. If you're serving the God we serve, then you're serving the God of the Bible. You are serving Jehovah God. Yahweh God, there is nothing he cannot do. Listen to me. Some of you are not enjoying God's best for your life because you are underestimating what God can do in your life. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, help me to have more faith in you, to trust you more than I ever have in my life so that I might gain, so that I might conquer, so that I might claim every promise you've made to me. Have some faith. How quickly these people forget. They're going, they're too powerful. The cities are powerful. It's too big. They're like giants. We're like grasshoppers. We can't do it. They're stronger than we are. Do these people know that they just escaped the most powerful nation on earth at that time? Egypt. Do they understand that God just, I mean, these people... They just saw 10 plagues and they heard Yul Brenner say, let his people go. <laughs> and, so, and so they left, they gathered up all their stuff and they left Egypt. They remember how the Pharaoh let them go because the God of heaven sent 10 plagues on them. And I love how God protected them in that last plague, the plague of death. He told them to kill a spotless lamb and take the blood and put it over the door. And when the death angel came, he would pass. He would pass over them because he saw the blood. And when you've had the blood of Jesus applied to your sins and your sins have been washed away, you will never know death. You will never know death. Oh, this earth suit may pass away, but you will never die. Oh, man, that's a great story. I got to get out of there because I want to preach that. So they saw the 10 plagues. They saw Pharaoh let them go. They're right at the edge of the Red Sea. They see the dust from the chariot wheels of Pharaoh because Pharaoh goes, what was I thinking? I got to get these people back. They were my slaves. Now I'm going to have to actually do some work if I don't get these people back here to do my work for me. And so out of pride and arrogance and thinking he's bigger than God, he took off after the Egyptians. The Egyptians come up to the, or took off after the Israelites, the Israelites are up against the Red Sea. Moses holds forth that rod. The sea parts. You say, do you really believe that? Yes. Yes, I do. I think it's the first sea world. Because <laughs> I think when the children of Israel were walking through the Red Sea and those walled waters were there, they were going just like we do when we go to sea world and we can see the fish in the tank. They're like, whoa, check that out. 
And the fish are going, whoa, check that out. And when the children of Israel and the, and the chariots are coming in behind and they're right on the heels, the children of Israel come up out of that water. The chariots of Pharaoh are about to come up out of that water and God releases the water and the entire army of Pharaoh is drowned. They saw all that. They saw God deliver them. They saw, I mean, seriously, if you see the Red Sea parted, how could you ever doubt again? But you know what? We don't need to be too arrogant today. Because God's done a bunch of stuff for us and how soon we forget when the day looks dark and cloudy. I mean, we can go through the most blessed, miraculous, incredible, amazing time of our life and if we don't stay on our face before God and stay intimate with God in just a little while, we are doubting and fearing and mumbling and grumbling and murmuring and complaining when we are just beyond a great miracle time in our life, a great blessing. We Listen, don't you dare talk bad about them Israelites because if we're not careful, we can all fall into that trap. They underestimated what God could do. Have you ever noticed the longer you look at a problem, the bigger it gets? When, when do your problems, you know when my problems look the biggest? Four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Honest to goodness. I can go to bed and go, well, I've got to take care of this. I know that's a little challenge there and that's a little issue I've got to deal with. And I'm cool. And I go to sleep and I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and what was that big when I went to sleep is now this big. And there's nobody to talk to and there's nobody to call and... And you kind of lay there and you think, well, maybe I should get up and pray. And then you think, maybe I can lay here and pray. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm vulnerable and I'm being transparent. And then sometimes I don't pray. I just lay there and worry about that. You know what worry is? Worry is when you reach into tomorrow and get stuff that hadn't even happened yet and may not ever happen and you treat it as if it absolutely is going to happen, but you don't wait to get there, you go ahead and pull it into today. That's worry. And you know what God says about that? He says your mental makeup, your physical makeup, was not made to bear yet tomorrow's problems. That's why some of us are so messed up. That's why some of us are so tore up because we keep reaching into tomorrow and saying, what if, what if, that could happen, that could, it could be that bad. We never think about how great it could be. We're always thinking about how bad it could be. So if you keep looking at it and analyzing stuff through human eyes, your fear is just going to get bigger. Zig Ziglar said that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. You know, do y'all remember Rahab in the Bible? Rahab the Arab? No, I don't know if she was Arab. But Rahab, I just, it just went together. Rahab was in, uh, you, you remember Moses died? Moses never got to the promised land. Y'all remember that? Moses died and this other guy took over and his name was Joshua. And Joshua said, we're going in. We're going in. And Joshua took them into the promised land. And, and when they got into the promised land, the first big obstacle they faced, the first big hurdle, the first big city that they faced was the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was an amazing city. 
I read one author who said that the walls of Jericho were so wide that you could line nine chariots side by side and ride them around the walls of Jericho. That's pretty wide, isn't it? And a lot of people don't know this, but Jericho is the first place that had condominiums because people lived in the walls. And Rahab is one of the people who lived in the walls. Now, Rahab was a harlot. I love how God chooses people we would never choose. Because, see, when God picks you or Rahab or me to do something and then it gets done, you know what people say? There must be a in heaven. I ran into all my old buddies. Hey, Farrell Hardison, man, what are you doing? You graduated in 1970. I said, yeah. They go, man, what are you doing now? I said, I'm pastor of Whitley Church. And I can see in their eyes. There is a God. <laughs> There's a God. Because they knew me. But Rahab, that, so, so are y'all with me? So let's go from Numbers 13 and where they are right there in Kadesh. They haven't passed. Let's go all the way 38 years later. And Moses is dead, and now Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land, and he does kind of the same thing that Moses did. He sends spies into Jericho to check out Jericho. I love all this espionage in the Bible. I just think it's awesome. Okay, and so, y'all remember Mission Impossible? And so... <laughs> Yeah, y'all going, yeah, Tom Cruise. No, not that one. Okay, so, so they go over and they end up in Rahab's house and Rahab welcomes them into her house. I want to tell you what Rahab says. That now, stay with me here. Rahab says to those guys, those Israelites, she says, I got to tell you guys, all the people who live here, we've been scared of you guys for 40 years. We've been afraid of you Israelites for 40 years. Now, now keep in mind, who's fearing back up here in Kadesh? Who's fearing? The Israelites are fearing. What they don't know is that the enemy is as afraid of them or more so than they are of the enemy. Are y'all ahead of me on that? Do you know that, do you know that the enemy is more afraid of you of you than, than we are of him? You know what the enemy fears above all things is that you will understand who you are in King Jesus and you will rise up in who you are as a prince and princess of the king and you will understand the power that is available to you to conquer the enemy and overcome the enemy. That is the last thing in the world the enemy wants from you. The enemy trembles that you you guys are going to find out who you are in Christ and begin to function that way. The enemy trembles. That's what the enemy is so fearful of, is that we're going to finally believe what God has been saying about us. So Rahab looks at them and goes, excuse me, y'all been afraid of us? You're afraid of us? She said, let me tell you something. We've heard about the miracles. We, we have panicked. We've been in panic mode for 40 years about you Israelites getting here. That's how the enemy feels about you. 
He heard about it when you gave your life to Jesus. He heard about it when you said, I'll serve. He heard about it when you were baptized. He heard about it when you said, I'm not ashamed of the God I serve. He heard about it when you said, I believe the whole Bible, the whole Bible true from first word Genesis, the last word revelation. He heard about it when you said, I've got a talent and an ability and I'm gonna use that for God's glory. He is scared to death that you're gonna be everything God wants you to be. He's petrified. He trembles in his little devil boots. So they underestimated what God could do. The second thing they did was they underestimated what they could do. They underestimated who they were. They said, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Talk about a poor self-image. They said, compared to them, we're like little bugs. Compared to those Israelites or compared to those Canaanites, we're like little bugs ready to be eaten up. We can never do this. The project's too big. And after 400 years of conditioning in slavery, remember they were, they were under, the, the, they were under um, Pharaoh over there in Egypt for 400 years. And you know, when you've been a slave that long and there's so much of that bondage in your heritage and so much of that bondage in your background, sometimes even though you've given your life to Jesus, you keep living like a slave. And they kept seeing themselves as slaves. We're not slaves anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We've been set free. God took his keychain out. When you knelt in the altar and said, I don't want to follow my own way anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christ follower. I want to get fully developed, fully equipped. I want to be everything I can be for God. Jesus took his keychain out and unlocked every bondage you had. You're free to be who God wants you to be. But we don't see it. We don't grab it. We look back and we say, yeah, but I did this and I did that. It doesn't matter what you did. I don't care what you did last night. He will change your life today in this service and you will never be the same. <clears throat> they didn't just underestimate what God could do. They underestimated what they could do. They said, we're like grasshoppers. They're like giants. And again, I want you to do the 40-year jump with me. Because now Caleb, one of the ones who went into the land and came back and said, we can take it, Caleb and Joshua, now I want you to go down 40 years down the road with me. Caleb, it's 40 years later. And Caleb says, listen, you know what the thing they kept bringing up, the thing they kept saying they were afraid of were these giant men over there, the Anakites? Well, you know what Caleb said? Caleb said, I, when they finally went into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, y'all with me? Caleb said, hey, you know that land that was so, they were, everybody was so afraid of the land that had the giants in it. Caleb said, I want that land. Ain't that cool? So Caleb's like 80 something years old now. So he said it like this. Hey, you know that land? <laughs> Give me this mountain. I mean, that's what Caleb said. And Caleb went over there and found out that these giant men were not warriors at all. They were just gentle giants. They, they didn't want to fight. They, they didn't have war in them. Isn't it amazing how we see a situation and determine what it is before we really know what it is? 
We say it's that, it means that, and, and that's, it's going to be like that. And we have no idea what it's going to be like. There's some of you right now that God's told you and told you and told you to go into some area of promise that he's promised you. He wants you to go in there and take it. He wants you to go in there and put your hands on it. He wants you to go in there and claim it. And you just keep seeing all these obstacles and saying, yeah, but there's that and that and that. And if you were to walk right up to that obstacle and deal with it in faith through the word of God and in your personal relationship with Jesus, you'd go, you know what, that thing that held me back for so long it was nothing it was nothing that's what Caleb is saying Caleb is saying y'all have whined and cried about those giants when we go in to take the land I'll take the land where the giants are so here's Caleb down here all these giants up here Caleb's going I'm come to tell you boy something amen Caleb he never underestimated who he was. Not who you are, really. It's underestimating who you are in him. The third thing I want you to notice is that by looking at their situation through eyes of fear, their problems didn't defeat them. Their perspective is what defeated them. How they saw it. What are you facing? What's your giant? What are you on the edge of and, and God, you keep feeling God nudge you, you keep feeling God say, I'm going to give you that, but you got to, I'm not going to just come lay it in your lap. I'm going to make you trust me. I'm going to make you, you know, I go back to that scene in that movie where uh, Indiana Jones has to step out before the bridge appears. The bridge is not going to appear until you trust and some of you are going, I am not going to step out until everything is guaranteed. Well, let me tell you something. You will never step out then. You will never step out because God is going to make you trust him in the darkness. I remember one time my dad, um, we, we, my dad's a, a preacher and pastor and I was a little kid and uh, my dad, went, we went to some house to eat and they had a cellar in the basement. They had a, it was the coolest thing. You walk up to the side of the house and pull open these doors, and it was like a dark hole. I mean, for an eight-year-old boy, that is paradise. Because in our minds, there is adventure galore down there. And I remember my daddy stepped down in there, and the guy was showing him some stuff, but there wasn't a light on yet. And I said, I want to come down there. And my daddy said, well, jump. I said, yeah, right, <laughs> I'm going to jump. <laughs> he said, jump. I said, no, I can't even see you. I can't see you. He said, I want you to jump down here, and I'm going to catch you. I promise if you'll jump down here, I'll catch you. And I jumped down there because that was my daddy. And I knew that my daddy would hurt himself before he would let me be hurt. And there's God in heaven, and he's asking you to jump into a dark place. He's asking some of you sitting right here right now to jump into a dark place. And you just keep thinking about all the bad things that could happen if you jump down in that dark place. But he's saying to you, I promise you, if you will jump down here, I will catch you. And when I jumped down in that hole, I landed in the arms of a loving father. Perspective. Perspective. They kept they kept seeing things the wrong way. Let me give you very quickly in closing three results of seeing eyes of fear. And I promise you this is very short. Number one, because they wouldn't go in, 
they were filled with discouragement. See, when you, when God keeps promising you stuff and you keep saying, ah, it's just too big a risk, dude. it's just too big a risk, then, then the discouragement sets in. Can I, can I just give an illustration right here? And I'm not here to pick on any churches. As a matter of fact, I've made this mistake as a pastor myself. One of the worst things you can do as a pastor or leader of any organization or business or corporation is keep telling people this is where we're going and you never go there. When you keep telling your family, we're going on vacation, I promise you, daddy's going to take us on a vacation and you never take them anywhere. We're going, to, we're going to Disney World one day. I promise you, we're going here one day. I promise you, Daddy's going to take a whole week off. And I promise, and after you look behind you and they're grown, they don't even want to be around you anymore. They don't even be, want to be close to you anymore because they're at that age where they just want to be with their friends. And you look back and that's gone. That time's gone. There are some of you sitting here and in your business and in whatever leadership role you're in, you keep telling people what's going to happen and what's going to happen and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and you don't ever do anything. I'm telling you, when you do that kind of thing right there, discouragement starts setting in that organization you're in. The Bible says, we jump to 14, Numbers 14 now. 14 and 1 says, that night, because they didn't go into the land, the 10 guys came back and spread their infection of fear and doubt throughout the whole Israeli nation. The Bible says that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. Can you see that? Because they had gone through all they had gone through and their leaders came back and said, I don't think we can do it. And the people wailed out loud. I believe you could walk through the camp of Israel that night and just hear the people moaning and crying in discouragement because their leaders wouldn't have faith to step forward. But then out of discouragement comes division and discontent because it says in the very next verse 14 and 2 it says and all Israel grumbled against Aaron and Moses the leaders and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert wow talk about discouraged talk about discontent talk about anger See, see, anger follows disappointment. Anger follows discouragement. They begin to grumble, murmur. People who feel like failures often are the greatest critics because they don't want anybody else to achieve anything. If they're not going to achieve anything, they don't want anybody else to achieve anything either because they get jealous when the Israelites had the opportunity and didn't take it, they immediately started blaming everybody else. Aaron, Moses, the leadership, anybody they could point a finger out, they were, they were just discontented. And then finally, in 14.3, defeat. Listen to this. Listen to this language. Why is the Lord... I mean, first of all, God said, go get it. Sent in the spies. Ten came back and said, we can't do it. Filled with doubt. Two came back and said, of course we can take it. God said we could take it. Are there some challenges? Yes, but God's going to be with us in those challenges just like he was when we came up on the Red Sea back here. 
God's going to take care of it. But they didn't believe those two. They believed the ten. And so, and so now they've blamed Moses. They've gotten discouraged. And now they've gotten discontent. They're blaming Moses, blaming Aaron, blaming all the leaders, blaming anybody they can point a finger at. And now look who they're blaming. Did y'all see? What I, did you hear what I just read? Why did the Lord bring us to this land? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? What is God doing, man? Uh, He's trying to lead you into the promised land, and you won't have faith to go in there and get it. That's your problem, dude. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Now, have their wives and children been taken as plunder? But it could happen. It could See how we take stuff that hadn't even happened and we make it reality. And and look look at the last question in in Numbers 14.3. Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to Egypt? I mean, really, think about, don't y'all just really miss the cruel bite and sting of the taskmaster's whip on your back? Those were the good old days. Isn't it amazing? I never cease to be amazed at people who come into the church from a rough life, make a commitment to Jesus, and then they have a few battles, and they have a few struggles, and they have a few difficulties, and the next thing I know, they're back out there in Egypt. And you call them on their cell phone, and they see it's you, and they won't answer. You go by their house, and they won't come to the door. Because see, that's what the church is all about. The church is all about when Pharaoh Hardison drifts away, you guys got to reach out there and get me. And when you guys drift away, I got to reach out there and get you. But I'm amazed at how people, I don't know where they get it in their mind that once you get saved, once you become a Christian, that all of a sudden those kind of battles are over. They're not over. You just got somebody who's your conqueror who's going to help you overcome every single one of them. Every one of them. You say, well, I've got some battles I'm fighting and I've asked God to deliver me from those battles and I'm still fighting those battles. I didn't say you wouldn't fight battles. I said he will walk with you and keep you victorious in battle. You know, victory in battle sometimes is not utterly defeating the enemy and overcoming. Sometimes it is just walking through it in faith and looking that thing dead in the eye and say, I know you're here, but you're not going to stop me. God honors that. Well, if you go back to Numbers 13, and I know I'm taking you guys all over the Bible, but if you go back to Numbers 13 and verse 30, it says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. See, what, what you want to know, here's what you want. Here, here, let, here's, the, here's the takeaway from this sermon today. Here's the takeaway. What does it mean, pastor, for me to see with the eyes of faith? What does that mean? 
Well, we jump over to the New Testament and we find a passage there from Ephesians 1.18. And this is what Paul prayed. Paul, Pastor Paul, prayed for his church in Ephesus. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that means understanding, that word heart means understanding. I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be open, literally the eyes of your heart. I want you to learn and be able to see with spiritual eyes. That is my prayer for you today. My prayer for you today is that you'll be able to see with spiritual eyes. When you were born into this world, with the exception of very few of you, when you were born into this world, you were born with eyes to see physically. Listen to me, listen to me now. The Bible says that when you, when you received Christ as your personal Savior, you were born Again, you were born the second time. First time you were born of the flesh. The second time you were born of the spirit. Jesus called that in John 3, being born again. Listen to me. When you were born the second time and you accepted Christ, you were given eyes then too, but they're spiritual eyes. Now, here's what you've got to pray, and I pray this for you, is that God will help you see in your own life and the stuff that's going on in your own life with your own family and your own situation, that God will help you begin to stop looking at everything through those physical eyes and start looking at your life through your new spiritual eyes. Because I'm going to tell you something, man. Sometimes we commit our life to Christ because we want to go to heaven when we die, but we keep living the same old way we were living. We keep living, looking through the same lens, looking through the same eyes that we were looking for, looking through before. Before we came to Christ. Listen, God wants you to see through your brand new spiritual eyes. So that's our prayer today. God, help me see my life through spiritual eyes. Help me see my life, God. Help me see my kids. Help me see my finances. Help me see what I'm supposed to do for you in this world. Help me see my church in the next three years and all that we've got to do at church. Help me to see it, not doubt and whine, but help me to see it through spiritual eyes because God has told us that promised land is ours and we can certainly take it. There's plenty of naysayers out there there are plenty of doubters out there. There are plenty of people out there to fill you with fear. Whose report will you believe? Because whatever report you believe is going to determine whether you're a success or a failure, victorious or defeated, fulfilled or unfulfilled. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just say something very quickly to you. Your first act of faith is to receive Christ. See, you can't believe for other stuff until you believe to receive Christ. Have you received him? Have you been born the second time? I know you were born the first time. That's why you're here. Have you been born the second time? See, we offer up excuses and go, well, I would give my life to Jesus, but there are so many hypocrites in the church. Oh, I know that. Sometimes I'm one of them. Sometimes I'm a hypocrite. We're not asking you to look at us. We're, we're broken people. We're, Whitley Church is filled with broken people that are trying to be what God wants us to be. Don't look at us. We're not the ones who are going to be able to save you. We're not the ones that are always going to be the best example. We're saying to you this. We're saying Look to Jesus today. Look to Jesus 
who there is no fault in and ask him into your life right now, right there where you're sitting. You don't have to walk up here to sad organ music. Right there where you're sitting, you can just say, Jesus, I don't want to go another step without you. I've been trying to live my life by my own wits and my own ingenuity and, and my own experience. And I've been trying to live my life based on the intelligence you gave me. And I've been trying to live my life based on human reasoning. And Lord, it's just not working out. It's just not working out for me. I need you. You're the one who made me. You're the one who created me and brought me into this world. You're the one who died on the cross so my sins would be forgiven. You're the one who rose from the dead so I could have life. And Lord, I believe all those things, but I've never received you. I've believed, but I've never received. And so this morning, Lord, I ask you, sir, I ask you, Jesus, would you just come in my life right now? Would you just come in? Would you just come into my heart and life and would you just wash me and cleanse me? Lord Jesus, will you just put your arms around me? Because I got to tell you something. When I look at the future of my life and I look at all that's coming through on my television and all this news that I'm hearing and, and, and Lord, I look at my own personal situation. Lord, sometimes I, I do worry. So God, will you just come into my life today and help me get a God perspective? Help me get a faith perspective instead of a fear perspective. Come in, Lord Jesus. I receive you. I receive you as my Savior right now. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, you've never prayed that before, would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down and say, and say, I got right with God today. I prayed and God heard me today. Amen. Amen. Everybody look at me. Guys, it's a test. It's a test. We're being tested. Always, always, always being tested. So, so our new thing, and I'm going to practice this with you, our new thing is when we feel ourselves sinking into worry and we feel ourselves sinking into discouragement, we feel ourselves looking. You know, that's what Peter did. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he stayed above the storm. But the minute he took his eyes off Jesus, he was under the water. And, and really, I know that's a, little, that's a little story in the Bible and the kids may have told it in kids' church today, but what a great example. Fix your eyes on him and help and let him help you see things in your life the way he sees things. It's like when David came up on Goliath and they said, you can't go out there. He's too big to hit. David said, he's too big to miss. Amen. David saw it totally different. He saw it totally different. Too big to miss. Let's go out there and slay some giants this week. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, listen, if you're here visiting with us today and, and you're a guest, we have a gift for you right back here. And uh, for those of you who want to know more about Christ and the Bible packet over here on this side, and don't forget to pick up your giving life packet if you didn't get one of those. God bless you guys. Love you.